When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider. From Learfield, presented by Give UNC, Carolina's annual day of giving. Make this March 29th a day like no other by supporting the causes that inspire you the most. We're back. Time for another edition of the Carolina Insider. Jones and Adam here with you. Back after a week-long break of the pod. Don't you worry. We've been still doing some stuff every now and then with the Tar Heels. And due to that respite, we have a giant show. We'll talk ACC tournament. Tar Heels go one and one in Brooklyn. Honestly, I didn't think played very well, at least offensively. Certainly didn't shoot very well. But Got a win. Came up short against Virginia Tech, who obviously was playing very, very well. And now they move on to the NCAA tournament, which we will also discuss, of course. Tariel's number eight seed for the fifth time in school history, second year in a row. And this time heading to Fort Worth, Texas. Dickies Arena. <laughs> Face off with Marquette. In some sensible work pants. <laughs> We've got, isn't that what Dickies does? I was in a, a meeting this morning, Jones, in which there was a big conversation about was this the Dickies pants or Dickies barbecue oh. arena? And it is the pants. I didn't even know there was a Dickies barbecue. Yeah. Well, Dickies barbecue is EY. Dickies the pants, IE. So this is Dickie IE. <laughs> All right, that's the end of the pod. Yeah. Think we've covered everything. Pants for everybody, guys. See, these pants 
have the picture of the team on the inside of the pants. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. I'm sure Adam's list is robust coming off the ACC tournament. Adam really loves New York, so that's you know there's going to be some good stuff there. And what a guest, Adam. This is one we've wanted to have for a long time. I love him so much. Raymond Felton. What an awesome player. Awesome interview. He is just a dude. And I uh you will enjoy the you will enjoy the interview because it's Raymond Felton and he will will you to enjoy it. When you listen to him talk, you're gonna remember why you love him so much. That's what happened to me. Like there at one point in the interview, like my eyes turned to the little hard yeah, eyes. Yeah. Adam was the uh, emoji of the star eyes face. <laughs> you know, where it's like, ah that was Adam. <laughs> so it's gonna be awesome. You know what else is awesome, Adam? The ability for you to give back to UNC. And good news, give UNC's right around the corner. Mark your calendar, March 29th. This month has flown by. We're already halfway through. You are two weeks away from March 29th. Get your mind wrapped around it because you can help Carolina attract the very best student athletes in the classroom and on the court. Join fans from North Carolina and beyond by making a gift in support of your favorite Tar Heel team on March 29th. Learn more at giveunc.unc.edu. Giveunc.unc.edu. Adam, you look pensive. No, I was just thinking about, we might have to invoice Give UNC Extra. They've gotten a bonanza of a month yeah. to be the sponsor. Yeah, what a month. Yeah, we had... Uh, Great time with all the coverage around the uh, the Big Duke victory. Hope you enjoyed all that. And if not, a reminder, you can go back. There was an emergency pod right afterwards. There was the full Tar Heel Sports Network broadcast available to you. Then we had, after Adam and I had some time to collect our, <laughs> collect our thoughts, came in a little hot with a pod. Then we had Theo Pinson for a little baby mini pod, a little extra bonus pod. So... Great stuff last week. Hope you enjoyed it. But Adam, it's time to turn the page. And bef- well, let's let's start with the NCAA tournament. Tariel's number eight seed in the East region, and I mean that's the seed area that everyone seemed to think the Tariels were going to be in. I think if I saw this correctly, in the S curve, the Tariels were number thirty which means they were the number two eight seed. So, you know, maybe if they beat Virginia Tech, maybe they get up to a seven, maybe. they If they were able to win the ACC tournament, I think they would have gotten to a seven. But, you know, Adam, I mean, I think what we did see is that the, the perceived weakness of the ACC certainly came out in how the league was handled as far as the NCAA tournament committee. You've got Duke, who comes in at a two seed. Then Carolina is the next highest or next best seeded ACC team at an eight. Miami was a 10. Virginia Tech, who, you know, had a terrific run through the ACC tournament, checks in at an 11. 
and then you've got Notre Dame having to play in the first four, and they finished tied with Carolina for second place in the ACC. Then you have Wake Forest and Virginia that I think were the next two teams in the conversation for the ACC. Neither one of them were even in the first four out. Wake Forest wasn't even in one of those four teams that gets to be put on hold to see if somebody can't make the tournament. So, this, and I'm sure we've said this before. The problem with the computer metrics to me is that so much of it is determined in the pre-conference season. Did the ACC have a good November and December? Absolutely not. They had an awful November and December. And I'm not just talking about Carolina. I mean, Carolina... You know, has that had the Michigan win, which was a good win, but then of course we know had the ugly loss to Tennessee, an ugly loss to Kentucky, and the close loss to Purdue, but didn't win any of those games. And outside of Duke beating Gonzaga, and Duke got a win over Kentucky, Notre Dame had a win over Kentucky, Carolina the game against Michigan that I mentioned. There just weren't a lot of real high quality non conference wins outside of that group that I just mentioned. I'm sure there's one or two I'm forgetting. But there just just weren't very many. That is a fact. But what else is a fact, Adam, is that once so the die is cast there, then you get in the conference games and you, there's just not the ability for much movement as far as the net is concerned. Because, I mean, you even saw it with the Tar Heels here over the last, let's say, three weeks. They were in the... 30 to 40 range, pretty much no matter what they did. And so there just isn't much movement available once you get there. And that's a shame because I think if you, and you've got to balance all this, and we talked to Bubba Cunningham about this on the video pod last week, and there are a lot of things that go into it. But I don't know how you can watch Virginia Tech or watch Wake Forest and say, ah, that's not a team that can compete in this tournament. Are either of those teams going to win the national championship? Well, we know Wake isn't, but in this hypothetical scenario, I don't think so, but they are certainly capable teams that can compete in this event. And yet, the fact that the ACC lost the ACC Big Ten Challenge, or the fact that random ACC team lost a non-conference game to LSU or something that has negatively affected them here down the stretch. And I think that is part of the system that needs to be rethought. Jones mentioned that interview with Bubba Cunningham because we didn't have a Friday pod. We didn't put that audio out, but I would recommend that you go back and watch the, the video version of that interview because he had some interesting things to say about the selection process of which, of course, he is part. Now, he did also say they never, ever, ever, never, ever consider TV when they're making matchups. And, by the way, Mike Krzyzewski might face off with Tom Izzo in the second round. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing we learned is a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, when we were all concerned that Carolina was in trouble in terms of making the field, they were in trouble in terms of not making the field yeah. based on – the reception the ACC got because what we learned is that the committee didn't think very highly at all of the ACC other than the team that won the regular season, which they thought very highly of that team, but everyone else kind of got lumped into a, just a 
pot. Well, I do think Duke benefited from two really good wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky very early in the season. I in mean, November. I mean, remember that Kentucky game is first game of the year. So, again, I think that shows you just how some of that is flawed. It also shows you, I, I guess, that they truly do value your entire body of work. And so um, that is what they say they do. And so I guess that is true. I think, Adam, the, the wins at Virginia Tech and obviously the win at Duke, just massive wins for Carolina's ability to be in the tournament and its seeding. And I kind of thought after Virginia Tech had beaten Carolina in the semifinals they were in, I don't think so. I think they had to win that game against Duke, don't you? I mean, they got an 11 seed even with that win. It, it looks that way. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I – there's some chatter again, as there always is at this time of year, about does the tournament need to be bigger? I mean, these teams we're talking about missing the tournament are not going to win it. So what is your rationale for expanding the tournament, just so everyone gets to feel included? Yeah, there's no need to expand the tournament, I don't think. Now, remember, I also I always thought it was so interesting that Bubba Cunningham, right when he came to Carolina from Tulsa, was like, yeah. I'd love to be see the tournament at 128 or whatever it is. Now I don't think he feels that way. I don't know that for a fact, but I would. I do think if you're at one of those schools, right. yeah, you want the tournament bigger because then you can get in. I. I don't think it needs. It's it's good how it is. It's it's the right amount of teams. I think the teams that get in for the most part are capable of winning a game if not more but there's no need to dilute it anymore there just isn't I think if you add another weekend you're taking it back to how it was in the 80s and the 90s where the the top teams feel like that first weekend is kind of a warm-up I mean remember how you used to feel that way with the Tar Heels that well let's look at the Sweet 16 matchup and see who the Tar Heels will be facing because they will be there I don't think anyone feels like that anymore if you're a one other than Virginia you feel pretty good about your first game. But then after that, every single one versus eight or nine, eight or nine could easily win that game. Yes. And that's not, kids, that's not how it used to be. No, yeah, and we've talked about that before, how, yes, how I think the one value of being a one seed is that for the most part, in 99% of the time, that's a game you're going to win. But past that, there's no more. The second round is what the Sweet 16 used to be. When you start, and we've said that before on this show, that it's when you start getting nervous that you could lose at any point in time. Um, it's it's just it's it's good. It's good how it is. Don't change it. It's good. And it, you don't need to make it longer to where it starts feeling too long. Yeah. Kind of like you know the ACC tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger is not better in this scenario. Yeah. The, the yeah, Tuesday of the ACC tournament is not a good day of basketball. It's just basketball. And it doesn't even feel like the tournament. Right. And no one treats it as being special. Like right. that's what the opening weekend would be. It'd be like a whole weekend of playing games. Yeah. From the Tarial perspective, Adam Marquette the opponent and what a weird scenario 
in that these two teams played last year, of course, in that impromptu game that was added in February due to COVID. But Adam, I can't remember a scenario where it mattered so little that a team that a team just played these two teams just played one another. They both have different coaches. Marquette only has one guy who played in the game on its roster. It's just, it doesn't matter. Dawson Garcia has played for both teams and now plays for neither team. So, I mean, it it just doesn't matter. That game doesn't matter in, in this in this scenario as far as, oh, well, can you take it? You know, do you know who, how they like to play or what do they do in that game that might? It, it, nothing. Nothing from that game matters. Dawson Garcia's played for both teams in the last 12 months. Yeah. And will be at home when they play each other. If this game, if you had told the Tar Heels at the end of January that they were going to face Marquette, you would have said, oh, watch out, Marquette's really hot and they're good and they've had a great season because they had at the end of January and Carolina wasn't having as great a season. Well, now Marquette's lost six of eight or somewhere in that neighborhood. They're four and six in their last 10 games not really blown out in any of those games, but they have lost them and Carolina's played much better. So they've switched roles since sort of midway through the season. You know, Shaka Smart is their coach and you know, he has had some success against the Tar Heels. If Shaka Smart's the coach, you know, they're going to play tough defense all over the court. Carolina will have to take care of the ball. You're going to need probably someone like a leaky black to be a third ball handler who can be an outlet for some of that pressure and make smart passes and get the Tar Heels some easy shots. If you can break that pressure, you can get layups against them. Um, they're going to shoot a lot of threes. They don't always shoot them great, but they're going to shoot them. And so, you know, of course, yet again, you're at the whims of do they have a great day. Um, you'll need Leaky Black to play well defensively. It's it's what an 8-9 game is. You. I could make an argument that either team would win. I think one one positive is it's not like last year where you looked at Wisconsin and immediately thought, oh, that is exactly what the Tar Heels are bad against. They're, they're a better Virginia. And that's not the case this year. You, you don't see that immediate matchup problem unless the Tar Heels have an off day with the turnovers. So from January 4th, to January 26th, Marquette won seven straight games. They beat Providence in there. They won at Villanova in there, at Seton Hall in that stretch. They actually beat Villanova twice this year. That's concerning. They have a win against Illinois early in the season, win against Ole Miss, who wasn't very good. Uh, they lost at Wisconsin, just looking at some Power 5 schools. Beat Kansas State by one, lost to Illinois, lost at Xavier, uh, or Xavier's in the conference. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an 8-9 game. It's teams that, when they're playing well, can be good, but have proven to have some flaws throughout the season. It, it's what you would expect in this type of matchup. Um, statistically, Carolina has a big advantage on the glass. Uh, Marquette actually has a negative rebounding margin for the season. Carolina, through the regular season, led the ACC in rebounding margin, was top uh, 15 in the country in that category. So a number that could be important there is rebounding. 
Baycott has the ability here to have a uh, a big day, but of course Marquette's going to know that Armando Baycott's important to what the Tar Heels want to do, so they'll be uh, ready for that. Justin Lewis, their leading scorer by a wide margin. He averages 17 points. Daryl Morcel averages 13.5, and, and they're the only two players averaging in double figures. Lewis was on the team last year but was injured when Carolina and Marquette played one another. So the only player who was on, that played in that game against Carolina last year that's on Marquette currently is Greg Elliott. He is their fourth-leading scorer on average this year at a little better than seven points per game. That was Carolina's first look at Theo John last year. Yes. Yes, it was. Now he plays uh, – well, he, he stands at the end of the chairs for Duke. Morcel is a Maryland transfer for uh, – for Marquette, Daryl Morsell, second leading scorer. So, but Lewis at six foot seven initially looks like that's the leaky black guy, but I I think he's a little bigger, like not height wise, but weight wise. So it'll be interesting to see how the how the Tar Heels want to handle that and how they want to match up. I'm guessing at this point in the week they may not even know the answer to that yet. That may be a later in the week after they get to break down some film. Yeah, talk to. Huber Davis uh, on Monday morning for the radio show. And of course that's available to you uh, also in your podcast feed today. And he talked a little bit about Marquette just at the end of the show. And of course, you know, the Tariels have known they were playing Marquette for less than 12 hours when we had talked, but he talked some about what you talked about, Adam, about the just the Shaka smart kind of resume and how, physical his teams traditionally are aggressive they are defensively um so I I do think that is going to be very important by the way another player at least Carolina has heard of before Olivier I think it's Maxence Prosper Clemson transfer who is on Marquette and is one of their starters as well so just another tie there if you say we've heard of him I believe you yeah I had when I saw his name I had recognized him before. I mean just his name anyway. Marquette has forced 427 turnovers on the year, about 14 per game. So not a huge I mean that's a that's not a small number, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's 20 per game or something, but so that'll be something Carolina has to be aware of. You said it, take care of the basketball. And Adam, it, kind of brand transitioning this into the ACC tournament discussion. Carolina's got to shoot the ball better than it did. The Tar Heels just couldn't get the ball in the basket uh, in the ACC tournament. You had Manic, who shot it well in the first half of the Virginia game. Baycott was at least efficient, although not you didn't really feel like he was dominant in the game against Virginia Tech, but was efficient, 9 of 10. But the rest of the Tar Heels really, really struggled from the field. In the game against Virginia Tech, the non-Baycott players were 13 of 50 from the field. And in the two games, not that these two were the only two who struggled, but Caleb Love was 5 of 27, 4 of 16 from 3. R.J. Davis was 6 of 23, 1 of 10 from 3. It's going to be hard for Carolina to win if they those guys shoot like that. No, they won't win. Yeah. You can't win in the NCAA tournament if your your guards are doing that. And the 
the concerning thing on the love side is it, it's not just these games. I think he's 26 for his last 91. And so, look, he's going to shoot it. It's not like, oh, I'm cold. I'm. I think maybe I'll work on my ball handling or something. Like he's going to take shots. So the Tariels need those shots to go in more consistently than they have been. And and you and Eric talked about this in New York. I mean, part of his shooting numbers are he's always the guy with three seconds on the shot clock. Oh, it's a panic. Let's throw it to Caleb and let him shoot it from 26 feet. So you're not going to shoot a high percentage on those shots, but it's some of the others, including some of the some of the two point shots and some of the shots near the rim that that need to be converted. Um, Carolina just needs more production. Adam, I don't have a ton from the ACC tournament necessarily to talk about. I thought the Tar Heels were good defensively against Virginia, although Virginia certainly has limitations on the offensive side. Brady Manick was lights out in that first half, providing Carolina the offensive spark it needed. The Tar Heels just looked a step slow the entire game against Virginia Tech, and even through the first half, you felt like, oh, well, the Tar Heels didn't play very well, but they're right there. And then Virginia Tech started the second half on a big run. Huber Davis talked how uh, earlier on the radio show about how big he thought that four-point play was when Carolina cut the lead down to 11 and Virginia Tech had scored. Carolina got a good look and didn't score, and then Virginia Tech got a four-point play, and then uh, that just felt like it changed the narrative of the rest of the game. I just didn't think Carolina played very well. I mean, and and if they shoot like that, they're not going to win. And I thought Virginia Tech played very well. They were clearly playing with a purpose. They had an urgency that Carolina didn't have. I didn't think Duke showed in the championship game the same amount of urgency that Virginia Tech did. I mean, they, they were clearly playing at a high level. I think a lot of times when you do that in a conference tournament, it's really hard to reset and do it again in an NCAA tournament. We'll find out. Uh, but Virginia Tech was just played better than the Tar Heels that day. Yeah, unless you were in the building on Friday night, it's hard to understate how big that game was for the Hokies. They they treated it as being a, a win or go home for the season type of game. And it didn't feel that way to Carolina. I think you got a little taste of how Virginia Tech felt about it if you watched the championship game and saw just how jubilant they were. That's how they were Friday, too. Yeah. Um, so, but by and large, they played better. The officials did change that game. I mean, the, the second foul on Leaky Black changed the entire course of the game. And then there was... A situation with Caleb Love right before half where he got fouled. It wasn't called. Carolina doesn't get the points. Virginia Tech comes back and hits a three at the start of halftime. That's five points. Um, so, but even without that, Carolina didn't play as hard as Virginia Tech did. And, and it was a reminder that the Tar Heels are a fragile team. I mean, whether the calls on Leaky Black were right or wrong, if you take one player out of Carolina's five, they're in trouble and the bench points at one point I think were 28 nothing in favor of Virginia Tech until the Tar Heel bench got a couple there towards the end after the game had been decided it's going to be difficult to make a long push in the NCAA tournament if you're getting zero from the bench you don't need 30 but 
six to ten sure would be a big boost. Um, and right now, other than Puff Johnson, who has consistently given you something, uh, the Tar Heels just just aren't getting as many contributions from from there as they would like. And anything else? ACC tournament, NCAA tournament draw thoughts. I mean, I don't look at Carolina's draw and go, oh, well, this is I – mean, Tar Heels, if we've seen it. If they play well, they can win a game or two in this in this thing. No question. Yeah, I, I think – I don't think Baylor is necessarily any better than Duke. Right. And Carolina has beaten Duke at Duke. Now, you're playing Baylor in Fort Worth, potentially, in this scenario. Right. Um, it's – you're going to play difficult teams, but you earned that assignment with your results throughout their regular season. And I didn't feel like Carolina necessarily got a poor seed or a good seed. They got pretty much the seed that you figured they would. And now you have to play your way through it. 4.30 approximate start time on Thursday. A lot of people seem grumpy about the start time. I, what's wrong with 4.30? I, well, I understand normal people have to work. Right. I Like, somebody's got to play in the afternoon. Yeah, I I don't think it – I mean, like, when I, – I know I'm glad they don't play at 9.30 like they did in Brooklyn. I, I don't think I'm still over that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough. I do think that's tough. And I think it played a little bit of a factor in how much the heels were dragging on Friday. I mean – and here's it's it's not easy no matter where you are to get to that arena in Brooklyn. So I mean it like it was a late night. It just is. I mean, you don't get back until between midnight and one o'clock. It's just a late night. And I know they're young and I mean all those things are accurate and it's not like Carolina lost. All that's right. But I'd much rather see the Tariels playing in the afternoon than at nine thirty. It just gives you a more normal day. Yes. Carolina is accustomed to practicing around that same time. It'll be 3.30 local. Carolina usually practices at 3. Like, that's that's the normal setup of your day. So, looking forward to it, seeing the Tar Heels get after it. I did ask Hubert Davis on Monday, Adam, just Tar Heels were in the 8-9 game. Well, a couple 8-9 game references. One, of course, Hubert Davis was on that team in 1990. That was an 8 seed that beat Oklahoma in the second round. He shared some memories from that game. I think that I would encourage you to download the Hubert Davis show, listen to what he had to say there. And last season. Now, last season was weird. COVID, Adam mentioned the bad matchup, which I think is true against Wisconsin. But I did ask him, you know, anything to take away from that experience. And he just talked some about the urgency of the situation and how quickly it all can end. And that game ended about 10 minutes into it, if you remember. So how the Tar Heels uh, respond, because this is really the first time that they will have been in a real NCAA tournament since 2019. And that goes for everybody, of course. I mean, you know, there was no tournament in 20, and it was such a weird tournament last year with the lack of the atmosphere around the games. Leaky Black played three minutes the last time Carolina won an NCAA tournament game, and he's the only one who was in that game. He played three minutes. Carolina beat Washington. And it's just it's a very different group. I'm going to be fascinated to see 
how Hubert Davis treats this week. The the Sunday night selection portion of the week was more kind of excited and happy than those have been the last few years. And we know he is a very positive person. Um, and he quick by the end of the night, he had turned it to, okay, now there's some work to do. But he did really encourage his team to to appreciate the fact that they have made it and they are one of the teams in this. And so we'll see how that unfolds as the, the subsequent days leading up to the game go. Okay, a couple of reminders that we need to tell you about. LS Tractor. Don't let your outside chores or projects cause you to miss any Tar Heel game action. It's about time you got to start mowing again. You get out of that window where you didn't have to mow. It's a nice window. But now you need to, maybe you need to mow, till, or move something. Let LS Tractor help make short work of all those projects. Current offer, free loader with the purchase of a tractor. LSTractorUSA.com. Letter L, letter S, TractorUSA.com to learn more. LS Tractor, now you can do more for less. Also brought to you in part by StubHub. It's the easiest way to experience every Tar Heel game. Check the virtual view, score your seats, get your tickets delivered instantly. StubHub is the official fan-to-fan ticket marketplace of the Tar Heels. StubHub, be there. Adam, anything else before we get to our Raymond Felton conversation? No. Okay. We'll have our champions watch on the other side. Talk about the women, where they're heading, of course, and a lot more. But first, I put this on the same level as like the Ed Coda interview, where we had wanted this interview for a long time. And I kind of feel like you don't hear from Raymond Felton that often. So how awesome was it for us to get a chance to talk to him? It was awesome. So let's get to our uh, chat with Raymond. We'll come back. We've got the Champions Watch, Adam's List, and more here on the Carolina Insider. Look, we've been doing this podcast for this is the sixth year now, I think. Yep. And there is one person who every time we have a discussion of people we haven't talked to yet that we really want to talk to, this person comes up. And folks, it's happening today. Raymond Felton is here. We have been looking forward to talking to him for quite some time. So, Ray, thanks so much for giving us some time today. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Catch Tar Heel fans up on what's happening in the world of Ray Felton. They got to see you at the – was it the NC State game? Uh, yeah, the NC State. That you were at. And what what's going on other than that? Oh, man, really just um, I have a, a, skills, a skills academy now where I train kids. And then um, as well as coaching, you know, I have an AU program that I started up, you know, myself and um, and I'm just trying to trying to stay trying to stay around the game as much as possible, really. You know what I'm saying? So that's pretty much what I'm doing. You know, I kind of train kids here here in Charlotte. I fly to Dallas um, once a week, um, every other week, should I say, um, out of the month. I'm down there two weeks at a time and I'm here in Carolina, so I'm two weeks at a time just you know, just trying to work with different kids that I that I know and just trying to give back some kind of way. Raymond, of course, you had a long NBA career after your Tar Heel career. How, how did you know it was time for basketball from the, the playing days? How did you know it was time for that to be over? And, and was that a was that a hard moment in time for you? No question. You never really want it to be over, you know, um, I wish I would have, you know, got got another year out of there. My goal was 
my goal was 15 years, but you know, I played 14. So I, you know, uh, I thank God for that. So I can't complain at all. Uh, I can't be upset. Um, I had a, a, a longevity career, you know, playing, playing the game that I love. So I can't, I can't be upset about that. So, you know, it took me about a good year and a half, two years to really kind of get over it and figure out like what's next, what I want to do. Then the pandemic hit. So, you know, it was just being in the house and, you know, I was finna, I was finna go crazy to be honest with you. <laughs> I was about to go crazy, but um, I figured it out. And um, this is what I decided I wanted to do. I wanted to stay close to the game of basketball. So this is what I came up with. You obviously are talented. We all understand that. But what do you think some of the other key things were that allowed you to play 14 years in the NBA? There's plenty of talented guys who don't get anywhere close to that. Well, just having some um, some older guys, uh, should I say the term OGs, that really just really taught me taught me how to be professional, really, you know, because a lot of it is being professional as well. Like you said, it's a lot of talented basketball players out here who never get the opportunity to play in the NBA, to play professional ball, because, you know, a lot of kids, or a lot of these young guys don't really understand how to be a professional. And that comes a lot with it, you know, being on time, you know, being at practice and, you know, ready to perform each and every day at practice, not trying to take practices off or don't really want to practice, you know, going hard every day. Like those things add up and that those things keeps teams wanting to have you around their organization. You know, I think that was big about it, that I always stay professional, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what my situation was. And I always came ready to play. Who are some of those guys that that helped teach you that and who helped kind of lay the, the groundwork for you in that area? I mean, so many guys, man. You know, I, I always pick it off, you know, our old, our old veteran, you know, Carolina guys, you know, Twan, Vince, you know, Stack, Sheed. You know, all those guys always put their arms around me, always had conversations with me. You can always pick up the phone and talk to those guys anytime. You know, Shaman Williams played a big part you know, of, of my growth in basketball. So I definitely got to get a shout out to all those guys, all those, all my Carolina guys for sure. Then you had guys outside of that, like Derek Anderson, you know, Brevin Knight, Jawan Howard, you know, the list goes on of so many guys, Jason Kidd, that really just put their arms around me and just really just taught me how to be a professional, taught me a lot about the game of basketball as well. So, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can, the list goes on, man. You know, even, even LB, you know, we, we had our battles at times, but I love him to death, you know, as a, as a coach, as a father figure, as a, just as a person, you know, know, we, we had a lot of good times with each other and he taught me a lot as well. So I have to give a shout out to all those guys, man. LB, as I think people probably knows Larry Brown, who it, it feels like people have, very wide-ranging interactions with him. Uh, what What is it about him that, A, makes him so good? I mean, he clearly is, is one of the best coaches of all time. But also, what is it about his personality that makes him such a unique guy to interact with? Uh, he's just direct. He, <laughs> he not, he's just very direct and very blunt. He's not going to sugarcoat anything, you know. Um, he's not going to... I just don't care what comes out of his mouth, you know, and you just got to really just, you really got to just look at it in in a way of, you know, he's really trying to get what's best out of me. He really want what's best for me. So you can't take it personal because he can say anything. And, you know, if you take it the wrong way, then then it can go bad. But if you understand what his angle is, what he's really trying to do, 
then y'all can have the best relationship ever. So what's an example of something he said to you that at the time you were like, man, I can't believe he said that. But then once you got to thinking about it, you're like, well, he might be right. Well, we had one instance that I really just couldn't let it go. You know, we played the game. I can't remember who we was playing. I think we, we ended up going to like a double overtime game. I think it was against the Lakers. We ended up going to like a double overtime, maybe triple overtime game, and we ended up winning. And I was like maybe one rebound away from a triple-double. And and I was just like, I was just like, you know, just excited, tired, exhausted. You know, then he comes up to me and says, son, you still don't know how to play the point yet. And I'm looking like, man, we just won. I almost had a triple-double. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he telling me I still don't know how to play the point yet. And I'm like, it just sat with me the whole night. So I went into his office, knocked on his door. And I was like, coach, I just couldn't sleep last night. He's like, yeah, I know you was tired. You know, it was a long game. You played like 50 some minutes. I was like, nah, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. I said, you told me that I don't still don't know how to play the point. What is it I'm doing wrong? And he was just like, son, I love you. He said, I just want what's best for you. I'm just trying to get the best out of you, Raymond. Never, never took back what he said. <laughs> <laughs> but he told me, I love you, son. You know, I just want what's best for you. So, you know, I just took it like, you know what? That's that's all it is. He just want what's best for me. And like I said, man, we got a great relationship to this day. I love him to death. So, Raymond, you played on, of course, several different teams with, with different organizations the, in Charlotte and in Oklahoma City and New York and in Dallas and others. What? And some are more successful than others. H have you seen something within your journey on the different teams on what makes a, a winner uh, at that level? Because as Adam referenced, yeah, everybody's got good players. Everybody can play basketball if you've made it that far. What is it about the, the organizations that win on a consistent basis versus the ones that struggle? Well, I mean, I think it's just all about, you know, the staff. The staff means a lot. You know, and if you got a great staff and it comes from the, the the people who get the to get the fans in the in the in the stadium, you know, in the arena, to your medical staff, your training staff, you know, your coaching staff. I mean, all that all that plays a part. You know, you having a good owner who just you know willing to do whatever it takes, you know, to to make his team successful. I mean, all that stuff plays a part. Everybody plays a part. And I think the organization who 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 has all those things in place and has it, you know, at a level where everybody talks good about it, you know, I'm, I I would never talk bad about any organization because I mean I really don't have any any of them to really talk bad about to be honest. But you know, you you hear things as you you know being in the league and hear guys talk and hear guys talk about different things and in, in, in this locker room and this practice facility. All those things means a lot, man. You know, the, the the teams who put the the time and effort and the money into like having a beautiful facility, having a place where guys feel comfortable and want to go to every day. And, you know, just man, I mean, all that stuff means a lot. I know it sounds a little sounds a little spoiled, but that stuff means a lot, man. Just going somewhere where you just you walk in, you want to be there. You know, that 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 means a lot. Was there one particularly good experience that you had that you, and I understand you, you had good stops in, in all your places, but was there one that you think of as a really quality experience? Well, I mean, I, I don't like to really single out one out of the other, you know, cause I, 
I got a great deal of respect for you know all the teams that I played for, and I, you know, I enjoyed each and every moment. But um, if I had to choose, you know, one, then you know I will always go back to my New York days where I just, you know, I love that. I think I had some of my best basketball playing in the NBA, in in those places, and just you know, you know, just just the atmosphere, just those people. You know, it was just, it was just amazing. You know, Dr. Dr. Callahan, who's a who's a Carolina, who's a Carolina girl. You know, she um she was over the medical staff there, and it was nothing but amazing. Should I say, you know, she she she's amazing. She's great. You know, and just being there, man, it was just it was just everything. You know, being in New York and those and those lights in Madison Square Garden, and just you know, it's it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that, especially when you win it. Should I say? <laughs> that that was the the marriage that always seemed a little unusual from the outside you've got this small town south carolina guy playing in new york city and from the outside you first think well i don't know is that a great fit but it always felt like you fit perfectly there why yeah. was that um I, I have no clue i mean i just feel like they 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 gravitated to me and loved me from day one, just the way I played, my style of basketball, just, you know, just that grit that was about me, you know, that toughness. I just felt like, you know, that's that's kind of like New York's basketball. That's how that's how New York guys play, you know, and I think they just just gravitated to me. I, I mean, I've had a lot of people think that I was from New York and I'm like, nah, I'm, <laughs> nah, 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 far from New York. I'm a country boy. I'm a. I'm down in the down in the dirt in the in the woods where I'm from. <laughs> I'll know. We've talked about before how there are some places where like names of towns that you automatically associate with some. Latta, South Carolina, forever will uh, will be Raymond Felton to me without a without a doubt. Um, <laughs> let Let's hit the rewind button a little bit and go back to you're making your decision on on where you're going to go to college. Why Why was Carolina uh, the the spot that you wanted to go? I mean, that was every kid's dream growing up where I was from. That was everybody's dream to go to Carolina to wear that, to wear that Carolina blue, to play for the University of North Carolina. And it was just one of those things where, you know, I got the opportunity. I wasn't going to turn it down. You know, I visited a few schools, you know, primarily all the schools in South Carolina, Clemson, South Carolina. Like, you know, I mean, I had, I had opportunity to go anywhere I wanted, but I mean, he just, it's just one of those things, you know, you can't pass up and, you know, thank God I didn't, you know, I think I made the right decision. Do you remember the first time you ran out of the tunnel in the Smith Center or walked into the Smith Center, whatever it was you did that, that gave you that first impression of, man, I'm actually doing this? Um, I think when I, um, um, when, when was that? Oh, man, I can't even go back to so many memories. I think when it first hit me, I was actually a recruit. You know, I think it was like a, I was a recruit and I came to late night. I came to late night and I walked in the gym and it was just like Carolina students, fans everywhere. And they were just going crazy and they started chanting my name because at that point I was already coming. Like I was I was committed. I think I had I don't think I signed my letter of intent yet. I might have. I might have already signed my letter of intent. But I was coming to Carolina and it was just like, you know, they was chanting my name and I was just like, man, wow, like. I did this, like, you know, I'm coming to Carolina next year. So I think it was it was that moment. It was so real at that time that I was, like, really finna come to North Carolina. 
Raymond, of course, the, the beginning of your Tariel career was not individually necessarily for you, but just where the Tariels were in total, uh, a little rocky. There was the coaching transition. Um, what, what do you remember about that first year and just some of the adversity that, that you guys faced and, and how it set things up for later? Um, I think it made us tougher. I think it made us, you know, go through those things as, as, as a team, as a unit, and it, it only made us closer you know, and being closer off the court, being closer with each other on the court makes you a better team. We was already, you know, one of the most talented teams in the country, but just as close as we was as as, as a family, as a brotherhood, like it's, it's nothing, nothing and nothing to another. I mean, because we all still close to this day, you know? So, I mean, that brotherhood, I think, put us over the hump to really go out and have that toughness together to go out and win it all because, a lot of people don't understand to go win six games is, is tough with a one game elimination. That's um that's tough to do. I don't care how good your team are. I've seen some of the best teams get beat, you know, in, in the tournament. But um I don't know, man. It was just it was rocky, you know, you know, but I I, I can't I have nothing negative to say. You know, Coach Matt Darty, you know, is still a close friend to this day. And I still still a person who's dear to my heart because He's the person who got me to Carolina. He's the person who recruited me, who brought me there, who made a dream come true. So I would never, never, ever have anything negative to say about him or forever be in, indebted to him because he made my dream come true. Like, he recruited me. He got me there. And um, unfortunately, the whole situation went down the way it did. And, um, you know, he he got us all there, to be honest with you, you know. He got us all there, you know, just our whole championship team, regardless of where you cut, take Marv out of Marv and Quentin and maybe Ray Terry. But um, outside of that, you know, that's that was the team that Coach Coach Darter recruited and brought in there. So, you know, I have to give I have to give a lot of love to him, too. But then you bring in Coach Williams, who, you know, we already know how that relationship goes. You know, I love him to death. You know, he's definitely definitely another father figure in my life, a man that I can call at any time and get all the advice in the world, a man who changed my game. You know, a lot of people don't, don't know. Me and Coach Williams had a long conversation the summer of my sophomore year. And, you know, we had a good heart-to-heart, man-to-man conversation. He told me, he told me what he felt like I needed to do to take my game to the next level and what I needed to do for him to trust me with the team. And all I asked for him to do was give me the team, give me the trust to run this team and ever since that, man, I think everything just, you know, speaks for itself. You know, we had a great year that year, went on to to win the championship. Um, I got the Bob Cousy Award and got drafted, you know, which was my ultimate dream, my ultimate goal, you know, was to play in the NBA. So I have nothing but nothing but all the gratitude in the world and everything for Coach Williams as well, man. So I don't know. It's just just how that whole thing worked out. I think it worked out the way it was supposed to. You know, looking looking on the outside, looking in, you might be like, oh, man, that's messed up. Oh, when, what, what happened? Oh, what's going on? And it's like everything happened for a reason. God does things for a reason. God got Coach Darty in there to, to recruit all of us to get us in there. And knowing that Coach Williams was going to be the guy to really get it done and make us win the championship. So, you know, just – that's one thing I never, I never contest is this guy's plan. It's one thing I never do. You talked about talking to Coach Williams about learning how to to run a team. 
What's the difference in a point guard who can run a team and a point guard who maybe doesn't understand as much about what the other four guys are trying to do and, and is more focused on himself? Well, you have to, you, you, you have to, when you got that much talent on your team, you, you have to learn how to be a point guard. You got to learn how to run a team because, you know, I came in out of high school. I was a scorer. I averaged 33 points a game. So, you know, that was my mentality. Yes, I can run the point. I can play the point. I can pass, you know, I could defend, but, you know, I was a scorer. When I came to Carolina my freshman year, I still was a scorer. But my last two years, my sophomore and my junior year, I had to learn how to play the point. I had to learn how to prepare myself if I was going to play at that next level. That you got to play with other guys that that's just as talented as you are, and you got to learn. You got to learn each and every person. Like I had to learn where Rashad wanted the ball at, where where he wanted to score at, where Jackie wanted to score, where Marv wanted to score, where Jawah wanted to score, where Sean wanted to score, David, Melvin. Like I can go down the list. The whole team. I had to know where everybody wanted to score the ball, where everybody was supposed to be, you know, at each and every play. And that's not easy to do, but that's the type of pressure that Coach Williams put on me. But he also knew that I was capable of doing it. So, you know, he really he 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 tested me. You know, he 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 really tested my potential. And, you know, I think I thank him for that because that really taught me the game of basketball. That really taught me that I can go play in any type of system. And I think that really helped my longevity of my career in the NBA as well, just knowing just knowing the game of basketball at a high level, knowing that I can learn all positions and know where everybody's supposed to be. I can play any system. I can run any play. Like, all that stuff helps out, man. And I think that's something that's being missed today with all these young kids doing one year and out and just going into the NBA not quite prepared yet, you know, and that's that's an art that's being missed right now in the game. I want to ask you about two specific games, and I know they were – sadly, they're getting farther away. I don't know how that happened. I feel like Raymond was just playing at Carolina like last year. But um, the the Duke game, uh, your junior year, the one where Marvin hit the the putback on the free throw, um, just your memories of that moment and and that game, that's one that that Carolina fans still highlight so much even still today. Oh, man, just that – just that run, that comeback, and then me being at the free throw line after getting fouled, and I missed the free throw, and I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so I, I try to get back to the ball real quick, and I think I kind of tapped it a little bit. And when I tapped it, it went into Marv's hands, and then he was able to get that and one to put us up. So it was just like, I don't know, man. That was one of those games where it was just it was just a, a, a great moment in your life that you will always remember each and every play. Like, you know, every time we played Duke, it was a dog fight. No matter where we was at, where we was in the Dean Dome or where we was in Cameron, like it didn't matter. It was a it was a dog fight, man. And it was fun. I miss those type of games. I miss those type of battles. But yeah, man, that was a great moment, man. It was just, it was amazing. Everybody was going crazy. We all was going crazy. And then, you know, like I said, it's just one of those moments where you remember forever. And then the championship game against Illinois, obviously they were a terrific team that season as you guys were. Just do you have any memories of, of that battle between you two? I think it's historic. You know, I think it's one of those games that, you know, I can look at maybe, you know, in the next five, 10 years, you know, with my kids and, and it'll, it'll, be a, um, it'll be a historical game that they would play on ESPN, on the classics, you know, and – 
it was just an all-out battle. I mean, we we went at it from the start, from the tip all the way to the end. I mean, it was just a good game, you know, playing against, you know, some great talent, Darren Williams, Luther Head, D. Brown, you know, Augustine, like just, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a battle, man. It was fun. You know, those type of games I, I, I love, those type of games I live for, you know, those big moments, those big games and, you know, it's one thing I never shot away from is, is those type of games. I like, I, I love them. I embrace them, you know, and I think the rest is history. We was able to win and, you know, Coach Williams got his first, you know, championship. You know, we, we all got our first national championship and it was just, it was amazing. It was beautiful. How many times have you gone on YouTube and watched the clip of you hitting the three-pointer over the shutdown <laughs> man and you just sit there and chuckle like, yeah, didn't shut him down that time, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was, I thought that was funny, you know, the shutdown man. And then I pull up, I pull the three up in his face. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was funny, but um, nah, man, me, me, me and D-Will had a lot of battles, man, through, after, after we, after that game, you know, in the NBA, and we got a chance to play with each other in Dallas a year too. So um nothing but love for that guy, man. But but yeah, those those moments, those moments, yeah, you know, you gotta go back and look at it sometime. I can't tell you how many times I did that. <laughs> but, but you know, you you know, you go back and look at some of your highlights sometimes. I I ain't even gonna say a lot to you to you both. I, I definitely do that sometimes, man. Go back and look at it. I definitely do. Raymond, what was it? Because you just said you relished playing in those big games and those big moments. And even in that title game, there was that three-pointer. You had a big steal uh, late in the game as well. What is it that you think allowed you to be comfortable in those moments? Because I'm not sure everybody, as as good as they are, talented as they are, not everybody's comfortable in, in those type of moments. I think just growing up as a kid, I was always put in situations where I had to play against older kids, playing with grown men, and just – you know, um, being put in big games, being a small school. Like, we was a 1A school. We played against the Matha. We played against Mount Zion. We played against teams that was built like college teams already in high school. And I jumped center for my team in high school. So, you know, we really wasn't that tall, wasn't that big. But, you know, we was always tenacious. We we, we fought. We uh, didn't back down for nothing. We wasn't scared of nobody, wasn't scared of nothing. So I just always kept that mentality no matter what. You know, every time we played in a big game, you know, I was always that person that 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 just stepped up to the moment of, you know, we're gonna we're gonna beat these guys no matter what. I don't care if they are ranked number five in the nation or number two in the nation, whatever it is, like I didn't care. Like I just I just wanted to win. And I just always kept that mentality always ever since I was a kid. I always played up. I never played with my age group. So I always had that mentality of I wanted the ball. I wanted the big shot. You know, just, that's just always who I was. When we've talked over the last 15 years or so about, I wish fill in the blank had a little more Raymond Felton in him. We're talking about exactly what he just said. Exactly what those words he just said. When you say you need more Raymond Felton, that's what you need right there. Um, Raymond so 05 against 09, we've never gotten your thoughts on this, and this is a very popular topic. If those two teams went head-to-head in their primes, who's the winner? Oh, uh, come on, man. You know I'm going with my team. <laughs> so that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. I'm going with my team all day. You so, know what I'm saying? Like, so where's the matchups that favor 05? 
I mean, I think everything is pretty equal. You know what I'm saying? You got me and Ty. You know, you got Wayne and um, Rashad or Jackie, should I say. You know, if you want to go Danny and Jackie. You know, you got Sean and Tyler. You got Jawad and Dion. I mean, then you got, you know, uh, both of us had a bench. So, you know, I mean, it could it could go either way, man. It really could go either way, but I'm definitely going to go with my team. Obviously, you know that, you know, but – I don't know. I, I just think that our team was just built different. You know what I'm saying? Like, we 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 went through adversity, and I don't think they never really did. You know what I'm saying? Like, granted, you know, they was they was they was extremely good. They they pretty much went through everybody in that tournament. Like, it was kind of just easy for them, you know. But at the same time, like, I think just the things we went through, the pain we went through, you know, the things we went to went through together off the court. I don't know. I, it was just something different about our team, you know. Talent-wise, I mean, we were just as talented. Either team was just as talented. Like, I can't sit here and say one team was more talented than the other. But just the things we went through, I think, just really, really just puts us over the hump. And then on top of that, what you would, you know, who who they was going to, what they was going to do with Marvin coming off the bench. <laughs> No, we're gonna do with Marv, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, we 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 can talk all day about that conversation. But you know, all, all the love to those guys, man. Those guys are like my young fellas, man. You know, just you know, happy that you know we all part of a a, a big old brotherhood, a big old family, man. All together. Raymond, we really appreciate your time. Not going to keep you too much longer. We've been talking almost 30 minutes. Um, it, you mentioned Coach Williams coming in, of course, uh, between your freshman and your sophomore years. Did did something change? I mean, did he bring some kind of change with him? And if so, what was that? You know, what was different that allowed him to come in with a group like you guys and and to be able to to be successful? Um, it's nothing I can really explain with words. It was just different, you know. It was just different. I know everybody just was different. Everybody was locked in at a different level. Everybody just. I don't know, just had that same fight, that same desire, that same burning energy that he had, you know, everybody kind of just, it was like it was contagious. Everybody just kind of grasped it from him and just put it into ourselves and put it on the court, put it on, put it on ourselves in practice. And he did things that you never seen before. I mean, he got so mad at us one time. I think we lost to, uh, we lost in um, the ACC tournament. We was finna lose the Clemson, and he told us if we lose this game, we was gonna buzz back and we was gonna practice as soon as we got there. <laughs> so I think I went off that second half. I had to make sure we were about to do that. And over like twenty nine that game, I was like, Nah, we not, we not about to do this. But uh, I think we ended up losing Georgia Tech the next game, and um, he still was upset just the way we played defense and you know all of that. And and he came in for practice, the next three practices, I think, and we had no rims. I don't know if y'all remember that. Yeah, he took, oh, yeah. Off, he took off all the rims on the on the court. So we walk in the gym like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> so so we just, you know, that was, that was probably one of the most memorable moments of my whole entire basketball career, man, because I've never had a practice where there was no rim. Especially when they had when you had baskets and there was no rim, I was just like, "Oh my goodness, what what are we what are we doing?" And it was just fun, man. It, it, it ended up being fun. Like we really like 
like it, we didn't take it in a negative way. Like he was serious and we got serious because, you know, we had a goal. Our goal was to try to go win it all. And, you know, we just locked in and we just went through practice just as hard as we did. There was um, goals up. So, you know, it was just one of those moments, though, where you like, yo, this man is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh... What do you think's the maddest you ever saw Coach Williams get? We all know he never got mad at Jackie because Jackie never did anything wrong. But uh, uh, but other than maybe. that, what what do you think's the maddest you ever saw him? Uh, honestly, I think it was in practice one day. He got so mad. At, I think he got so mad at us. Then he got so mad at Rashad and told Rashad, "You go sit down." And you're gonna watch them run for you. And I'ma leave. And he walked out the gym. And we like, where are you going? So like, so we had to keep running until he came back. <laughs> so yeah, I think that was one of the maddest moments I think I've seen right there. Like he just got so mad that he walked out of practice on us and said, Y'all just run until I come back. So yeah, man. We it's a lot of it was a lot of good moments, man. A lot of memorable moments. 14 years in the NBA, you play with a lot of different people, a lot of different personalities. Yeah. What do you think you learned from playing with Rashad that helped you in those subsequent 14 years deal with all different types? Well, just just that. I mean, you said it. You said it well yourself. Just playing with different type of personalities. You know, you got different guys that you're going to play with. You're going to have guys who. Who, who's about the team. You're going to have guys who, who really want to just score the basketball and really thinks about his individual self. You're going to have guys who just want to shoot. You're going to have guys who just want to dunk. You're going to have so many different type of people that you got to know how to play with and learn how to play with. Personalities, skill set, it's so many things. So, you know, just I think being able to play with everybody on my team, not, long, not just Rashad, I think, you know, just prepared me for the NBA for sure. Raymond, when you when you sit back now and you got your lemonade on your rocking chair and uh, you're done watching your highlights from your playing days there on YouTube, what what do you think about when when you think about Carolina and, and Chapel Hill? I just think about just just home. You know, Carolina is is home. It's always going to be home. It's always going to be a place I feel like I can go to at any time, and it's just a place that that will always be, you know always be in my heart you know always gonna be in my blood my blood is Carolina blue now so uh it's just it's 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 love man I mean that's 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 all I can say you know it's love you know when I think about Carolina it's just love that's all it is great stuff from Raymond great to hear from Raymond Felton and that interview as all of our interviews are brought to you by the independent insurance agents of North Carolina Texting while driving takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds, and at highway speeds, that's like driving the length of a football field with your eyes closed. Trusted Choice Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina want you to stay safe behind the wheel. Put down that phone while you're driving. Let's have a hands-free NC. To learn more and find an agent near you, visit trustedchoice.com slash heels. That website again, trustedchoice.com slash heels. From there... Let's check out our Champions Watch, presented by UNC Health, dedicated to caring for champions of all kinds to help keep you in the game and at your very best. You can see their lineup at unchealthcare.org slash 
sports. UNCHealthcare.org slash sports. Adam, a lot of Tar Heel action going on currently. And the Tar Heel men, not the only Tar Heel team that will be heading to their respective big dance. Women's basketball will be on the way to Tucson, Arizona later this week. That is a long trip. Long trip. And remember, did you guys say you went to in 07, right? When the Tar Heels played? It's a cool, it is a cool spot. Like I, I think Tucson is a, it's very obviously different from here. It's, it's cool to go experience it if you haven't seen it before. I think it's more cool because we don't go there very often. I think if I had right, to right, right. No, I, yeah. Um, and remember, women's basketball is you're playing at a host site uh, where the participating team is, and Arizona draws very, very well. Uh, they're the four seed in Carolina's region. The Tar Heels are the five. Of course, to get there, both teams have to win a game. Carolina's got to beat Stephen F. Austin. That game's going to be on Saturday at 7.30. Stephen uh, F. Austin has a good record. I don't know if they're any good or not. They have a very good record, though. I mean, they got to be good to get in the tournament. But Courtney Banghart talked about that a little bit earlier this week and said, the, and she knows because she's coming from that background with Princeton, she said you're going to play this type of mid-major team that has won a ton, and they know exactly who they are and what they do well. And sometimes the bigger teams are still kind of not quite sure and they're still figuring things out. And she said if, if you – if you don't take them seriously, they will definitely beat you because they're accustomed to beating everyone, which is close to what Stephen F. Austin has done. So I remember I called the play-by-play for the women's games for two years. It was a while ago now. It was the 05 and the the 03, 04, and the 04, 05 seasons. So a while ago. But my point of this is the first year the Tar Heels were – Either a five or a four seed, I can't remember. I think they were five. It had to be because they went to South Bend and they lost to Middle Tennessee State in the first round. Then the next year they were a one and got all the way to the round of eight. They had to play on an opponent's home court in the round of 16 that year. Had to play at Arizona State in the round of 16 against Arizona State. You were really making the rounds of Arizona in those days. Yeah. So, Tariel's concerned. They could win. They could win two games, and then the number one in South Carolina, who's the number one overall, but that game would be in Greensboro. And if I'm not mistaken, the Tar Heels scrimmaged against South Carolina in their secret scrimmage earlier this year. So now all of that, you know, both those teams would have to win twice for that to happen. But I don't think that's an unattainable goal for the Tar Heels. Sweet Sixteen. Well, a no, Sweet Sixteen would be a huge step for the program. Well, think. Courtney Bancard's first year, they didn't make the tournament. Last year, they were a 10 seed. And this year, they were a 5 seed. Very clear growth. And that's with some serious injuries this year. Yeah. So, congratulations to them. Great accomplishment. Hope they have success. That's a long way to go. Yes. Saturday night, 7.30. So, potential of a men and women doubleheader on Saturday, depending on how things go with the Tar Heel men on Thursday. Um, other Carolina action this weekend – baseball continues to roll they swept their first acc series they beat pittsburgh the highlight was a walk-off win on saturday johnny castagnazzi castagnazzi with a walk-off homer uh to help the tar heels sweep pit they're really playing well they the the half dozen baseball polls have started to come out this week and carolina right in that 15 range again um but there are some good acc teams notre dame is number one in the country in a couple of those 
baseball poles. That seems crazy. They went into Raleigh this weekend and beat State twice, and then State basically decided they didn't want to play the third game. Really? But I think State just awarded themselves the victory. <laughs> Guys, we're the champions of this third game of the series. <laughs> We've already given out the rings and the hats. Virginia's playing really well, so the, the Coastal is strong. Georgia Tech's good, right? Uh-oh, we're about to get into D1 <laughs> baseball again. Watch out. Virginia Tech has a team. <laughs> other uh, other Carolina action, men's tennis. Uh, real fast, I saw that John, Johnny Castagnazzi home run. I just happened to be back here. It happened right when the Tar Heels had gotten back from Brooklyn, and I had to come here to Pod World headquarters, which, by the way, there was high school basketball championships going on, so it was popping here at Pod World headquarters. But uh, I just happened to see Johnny Castagnazzi's walk-off home run. It was one of those where he hit it, and I was like, mm, right when he hit But he seemed to know because he was looking at it. And if you know Boschmer Stadium, the right center field wall is shorter than the rest of the park, and that's where he hit it. And uh, he seemed to know it. I was less sure. But thankfully, he was the one who mattered in this situation. I, there must have been some back and forth with that pit pitcher. Oh, really? Which and I didn't see any of that game live because of the travel situation, but when Johnny Castagnazzi was rounding third base, you got a shot of Scott Forbes in the third base coach's box, and Coach Forbes was rocking the baby. Oh boy, he had put the baby to sleep as he was looking at the pitcher. So I think there had been some chirping. I will say this for this Tar Heel baseball team, and look, there's go the baseball season's too long for you to not have adversity at some point. There's going to be a weekend series where you have a bad weekend. There's going to be a weird midweek loss. It just that's how it happens. It's too long of a season. They seem like a spunky group, Adam. Like I don't think they're the most talented Tar Heel team that, and that's not a knock against them. I just think that they're not like the most talented Tar Heel team I've ever seen. But they they seem to get along really well, and they just have a little something to them. It feels like they've got a good mix, and they've got good pitching depth, which will cover up a lot of problems. Fielding looks like it yeah, could they improve could, a they little. They could shore that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that that's an area of concern. But, I mean, they have good at-bats. They're a little unsettled in either left field or right field, depending on how the lineup's coming out that day. They need somebody to grab that spot to really solidify things. But the record speaks for itself. Who's Sean Rapp? That's the tall, lanky, left-handed guy? He pitches in every game. He's good. And Kyle Mott from the right side. Yeah, those two dudes are legit. Yeah, I mean, that's that's two solid bullpen arms. And the Tar Heels took shad and peavy house out of the weekend rotation this weekend and put him in the bullpen and then he came in and got some big outs out of the bullpen including the the biggest out of the game so when when you have that kind of flexibility and you have guys willing to do that and and still after you quote unquote demote them and then they still come in and contribute that's a that's a big deal it says something about and, what you got going on and Pitt's kind of decent right i mean i'm not saying Pitt's like the best team in the league but they're not they're not, like, embarrassingly bad. They're not dog water. Right. No. Heaven forbid. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry, Adam. You were about to talk about some other teams. Maybe women's lacrosse, I think you were about to talk about? Sure. I mean, really, I was going to talk about men's tennis. They, oh, they, men's they, tennis, women's lacrosse, <laughs> essentially the same sport. Men's tennis got a couple wins this weekend. Women's lacrosse also got a win. They put the running clock on oh. Louisville on Sunday, 21-8 uh, to 8 over the Cardinals. Yeah, as we've talked about with Jamie Ortega before, the running clock and the dropping of the stick. 
Two things that I like about uh, lacrosse. They put the running clock on Louisville early in the second half. Mm. That's when you get a 10-goal lead. The clock just starts running. Speaking of uh, Jamie Ortega, I would like to give the informational update that you should check her Instagram for some things she has going on. I'm not saying you should participate. I'm just saying that they exist. That she has an Instagram page. Is Th- what that's saying. correct. Yeah. Um, uh, women's Gymnastics Corner Jones, they went to Georgia. That's a tough place to go. They did, and they didn't win. Duel me. But they had a very good showing, and I think kind of similar. We, we've said this a couple of times as we've had our uh, Gymnastics Corners through the year or through the season, is that they are definitely building something positive uh, with Carolina Gymnastics. And they had a lot of positives. Highest floor rotation score since 2019. Back-to-back road scores of over 196. And that was their best road score ever at an SEC opponent. And Georgia's not bad. So, again, would they have rather gone and won? Of course. But I do think there are some very obvious signs that they are building some things that you hope continues to elevate here in the next couple of years. So I know they would have won. They would have rather won. But congratulations on a very solid showing. And still the Eagle regular season champions. Yeah, and it's Eagle Championship Week, baby. So spread your wings like Mr. Goose Honkers. Get yourself ready. Is that it, Adam? Yeah. Oh, that was Champions Watch, not your list. Right. Before we get to your list, <laughs> a reminder about about Roots Natural Kitchen. Let me tell you, the the Roots Natural Kitchen thing blows up our DMs. Every Friday during the month of I, – I will say I think everybody's getting a hang of how to participate in the contest now. Every Friday during the month of March, giving away gift cards to the Chapel Hill location – for every Tar Heel victory during the week. Adam, it was 13 this past week. Check out the Carolina Insider Podcast Twitter page on Friday at noon. We're going to send out the tweet telling you how many gift cards we're going to give away. All you got to do is retweet the tweet. Tweet, 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 tweet. Retweet the tweet. Roots Natural Kitchen. Fast, casual restaurants serving great-tasting, natural, and affordable salads and grain bowls. They are striving to promote healthy options. 13 winners this past week, Adam. I believe it based on the DMs. Yeah. It is a DM bonanza for the Roots Natural Kitchen. Miles can barely keep up with all the DMs. It's like a Saturday night normally for Miles, all those DMs coming in. So far, we've gotten zero gift cards. I've retweeted it both times. I have not been chosen as a winner yet. No big deal. So, root for victories, Roots Natural Kitchen, Friday at noon. How does Miles select the winner? Is it like whoever has a fetching profile picture? I don't know, Adam. Or just a name Miles enjoys? Is there a randomizer? How does it work? I don't know. Only Miles knows. Only Miles knows that secret, Adam. Mm. So, we don't know if it makes any difference if you make a plea to Miles directly. He may not even care. Yeah. You know how Miles is. Yep. Yeah, Miles lives by his own rules. No rules, just right. That also describes Adam's list. 
What's on the top of Adam's list? Brought to you by Top of the Hill, where Tar Heels come to celebrate. Well, as Joan said, this is a robust. No, oh, it's a hearty one, everybody. Yeah. First of all, halftime shows at the ACC tournament. Electric. Just a collection of the world's greatest performers. Well, and, and also the Simon Says guy. Okay. Well, I'll say this. I kind of enjoyed seeing the Simon Says guy because uh, we hadn't seen him in so long. You're getting old, Jens. No, I was kind of like, oh, there's Simon Says guy. I hadn't seen him in years. But it's true. We haven't seen him in years. Yeah. Well, I, one thing that was better in this Simon Says setting is he matched Carolina against Virginia Tech bands. Yeah. And also the turkey or the hokey bird. Yes. Yeah, the turkey. Uh, and Ramses was in it too, right? But he got eliminated. Uh, unclear if Ramses was in it. I think he did. But so Tario Banbro won. Yeah. He was a beast. And Hokey Bird won. Yeah. And then we declared them both winners. Yeah, of course. So classy. According to Big Grits. Well, lock it up. He thought he saw a dust up between Ramses and the Blue Devil during, I believe it was some sort of mascot dance contest or something. Mm, mm -hmm. But And I said, oh, Eric, you know how those mascots are. They're always funning. And he said no, that he detected a hint of animosity and that Ramses kind of pushed Blue Devil back and said, you don't want this smoke. Well, not verbally. Right. But with his countenance. Yeah. And I, I was skeptical, but then as they were walking off, they shook hands as though there had been some beef, and they were squashing it right there oh. on the Barclays Center court. Well, a couple, <laughs> there's a couple important notes here. Another reason why I can't support the Barclays Center is there were a couple of really good halftime acts that had no, like nobody cared. Right. The gymnastics woman, she was incredible. Who jumped on the yeah like the balance beam? Yeah, it was two guys holding some kind of like imagine like a pool foam stick. You know what I'm talking about? Like a noodle? Noodle, right? But it was long. It, it was a long noodle, Adam, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> and it definitely had some more. I'm gonna say strength to it than a pool noodle. And it was bouncy. <laughs> but otherwise, it was exactly like a bull doodle. <laughs> but so she was doing incredible stuff on it. Like yeah, she was good. I mean, honestly, I was watching this going, this is, a, this is as amazing to me as Red Panda. And, and nobody, like, it, would, it drew some like, yeah, okay. Right. It was really good. Simon says, again, I, maybe it was just a little nostalgia, Adam, but I will say he got the crowd into it. Well, because he's talking to the crowd, yeah. gymnastics, noodle, yeah, she noodle was, jumper. Yeah, didn't, there was no. no talking. And then Adam, you bring me to the mascots. So, two things. Apparently, in a game, because look, let's be honest. Ninety percent of the tournament happened before Carolina even played. <laughs> That's actually mathematically correct. Yeah, I and I said this on the air, and I've said this to Adam too. Like BC had a whole Cinderella run before Carolina even played a game. And it ended. It started, occurred, and ended before Carolina even played a game. But so apparently there was a mascot basketball game at halftime of one of these other games, and the Louisville guy, the bird, dominant. Like, first of all, 
He's got to be six seven. Yeah, I mean he's, he's a post guy. I mean, he could suit up for BC right now. Save that run that they made. He could suit up for Pitt. Well, who could beat Pitt? Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. But so I mean, they'd be dominant if you added Louisville Bird in there. <laughs> but dude, in the mascot game, Louisville Bird dunked it. He like hit like a fall away on the baseline. Like you've seen these before. Like. <laughs> because let's be honest, they've got on giant hands and they can't hold the ball and they're just tossing it up. And if it can't goes, really see, right. I mean, I'm not shaming the mascots. I right. have to imagine it's very difficult to play a game in said suit, but not for Louisville bird. He was out there crushing it. So props to him. Number two, Simron, I saw you out there. <laughs> Don't think I didn't. I'm not going to go any further with that, but just know that I saw you, Simron. <laughs> just know that I, I had your GPS location checked. I was aware of you. I was aware of where you were at all times, Simron. And then finally, Adam, the Notre Dame leprechaun can get just get on out of here, Notre Dame leprechaun. Adam, that dude, that dude is no good. He is no good. We have seen Notre Dame leprechauns in the past that were good. That were like, oh, okay, he's filling the role nicely. This guy, Adam, this guy thought he was the show. He was like, I'm coming to the big city and the bright lights will be on me, the Notre Dame men's basketball leprechaun mascot guy. (laughs) And he was like the MC during the dance thing for the which i mean don't it was just by default bro it's because you're the only one not wearing a giant head big dog it's not because you're so good they didn't elect you yeah it's because idiot simron can't talk he's got a giant head on (laughs) and louisville bird Bird is too busy getting illegal benefits (laughs) to go play for somebody next year (laughs) so and then you didn't, I don't think you saw this part. Maybe you did. It was during the Notre Dame Virginia Tech game before Carolina played Virginia. And so we were seated like right behind the TV guys. And you probably know this if you've been to a game. There's always like a little camera guy right next to the TV guys. Well, one of these like in-game breaks, Notre Dame leprechaun mascot guy goes out there with their cheerleaders and he like Puts his hat on the... Did you see all this? Yeah. I've never wanted to go out on the court and kick somebody in the face (laughs) more than I wanted to at this moment. This dude puts the hat down on the ground, and I guess camera guy, who I've seen that camera guy for a year. I don't know his name. He's obviously a high-level camera dude. And so I guess he started, like, shooting the hat or something. He's like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to get some random B-roll that we might use later on. Well... Johnny come lately, the leprechaun guy, then decides that he wants to, like, start, I would classify it, Adam, as mean mugging for the camera. (laughs) It's like, dude, you're dressed as a leprechaun. (laughs) Like, this is not, you don't have the freedom to do this, bro. So he starts, like, leaning down and staring at the camera, and he starts, like, putting his hand on his chin like mm, I'm thinking about how tough I am Lenny the leprechaun get out of here bro you out well if you've never seen the Notre Dame leprechaun 
It's just a person. It's just a guy. And he's wearing like a bright green bowler hat. Yep. A vest. Yep. A necktie. Yeah. A button-down shirt. Yep. And knickers. Yeah. Not... These aren't classy pants like you'd get at Dickie Dickie's at it. <laughs> These are straight up knickers. You're right. And then tennis shoes. Yeah, it's just a guy. And like every once in a while, like clearly he's the cheerleader who didn't make the cut for the cheerleaders. Yeah, or he and just so they're like, Do you want to be the leprechaun? He's yeah. like, All right, yeah, I guess. But when they told him to be the leprechaun, what they should have said was, Now look. I'm going to describe Larry the Leprechaun to you and some of the things that make his personality so much fun. Right. Not, okay, you're the Leprechaun. You need to act like you think you're the coolest guy in Barclays Arena at all times. When he got on that microphone and tried to like be a DJ and pump up the crowd, it fell so flat. It was brutal. Because he's a Leprechaun. Yeah, nobody wanted it. Just sit with your pot of gold yeah. at the end of the rainbow. Dude. Yeah. I don't need you to describe Sebastian the Ibis's hype dance moves. Who, I believe, did Sebastian win the dance-off? Well, Sebastian the Ibis did win the mascot yeah. contest on Jimmy Fallon, oh. which my daughter attended. Oh, And, Jones, this is how little difference the ACC tournament makes in New York. She said after they filmed the spot with the, the four semifinal mascots, so Ramses was there. Of course. An upset by Sebastian the Ibis. Uh, like during the break, someone asked Jimmy Fallon, who are you reading for tonight? This was on Friday. And he goes, honestly, I don't know who's playing. I don't know who any of those mascots are. Hmm. So Jimmy Fallon, not a big sports fan. And the ACC, not making a big impression on New York City. Another thing Leprechaun guy does, and he thinks this is like the coolest thing he does. You can tell by his face after he does it. Every once in a while, he'll just fire off a backflip. Mm. Oh, yeah, and, and then, then he'll look in the crowd like, hey, ladies, did you yeah. see that? <laughs> and then after he does it, like, he'll flex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I can't do a backflip, yeah. but if I could, I wouldn't, like, after I did it, look around like, you guys see that? No, that's exactly what he looked like. And it was like he would gaze off into the crowd to see which adoring fans were loving it the most. <laughs> I have a spoiler, bro. None of them. Do you think the other Notre Dame cheerleaders are like? No, they don't like. They him. go to the coach and like, guys, this leprechaun. I don't think a they like much. him. I don't think they like him. I don't think they do either. No. And what, did you see him when he put the green bowler hat on one of the cheerleader girls? Yeah, she did not. She was not down with it. She's like, okay, Larry. Yeah, she's like, okay, a funny gag. I'm trying to do like an actual athletic feat out here. I, they're about to hoist me in the air, and I'm going to do a couple flips. I don't need this hat on, bro. You dance around down there. I know you have to take your hat off so that you can fire off this backflip and then you're going to flex. Who won the dance-off? Did Sebastian win it? See, I mean, like, let's be honest. Of all the ACC teams, I would think Sebastian would have the best dance moves. I think that might be right. I was so disgusted by the leprechaun that I'm not sure I even remember <laughs> the outcome. Like, you're not a good MC if I don't remember what occurred in the actual event if all I'm thinking about is you. You're not the show. Yeah. I hope that it's not the same leprechaun next year. I think he's got to go. I didn't I didn't notice him in South Bend, but maybe he was there. I don't remember. <sighs> I well, I, I no. No more leprechaun. That's my <laughs> ruling. Uh did you see that Charlotte is bidding for the Army Navy game? No, I did not. In 2027, so soon. Mm. Uh per WCNC. That's a yeah, it's television a, channel where I get all my news. I think it's in eastern North Carolina. Sure. Uh, Charlotte is among the... the or maybe it's in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> it would make more sense. It's definitely in North Carolina. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
uh, Charlotte's in the bidding. There's several cities, so it's not like we're down to the final two or something. Uh, Orlando's in there. I'd be surprised if they get it. That just feels like a cold weather game to me. Not that it's not cold in Charlotte in December, but that just feels like a New York, Philadelphia, D.C. type of game to me. Well, you heard me say that Orlando was yeah, also know. in the running. Yeah. Charlotte and Orlando in the running for a lot of things, Adam. That's right. I, the biggest issue for all those cities is how are you getting the student bodies to the place where your stadium is? Because you have to have that. Yeah. So we'll I mean, see. that'd be cool. Yeah. I would go, but really the Tarnals would probably be playing basketball, so I probably wouldn't go. Yeah. Um, we uh, halftime show we didn't mention. Mutt's gone nuts. Oh yeah, do you forget how much those dogs love those frisbees? Dude? <laughs> you really do. Those dogs can't stand it. They cannot stand the fact that those frisbees exist and they're not catching them. <laughs> like, I mean, it is kind of funny to watch those dogs. How do they train these dogs so much that their whole lifeblood is catching these <laughs> frisbees? Because it is, dude. And then, like, their little dog partners will go out there and they'll have their turn to catch it, and they hate it. They hate that they're not out there. It's just they love the game. They love the game so much. Adam. Yeah, they don't hate their dog no, no, partners. No. Yeah. They respect the fact yeah. that they're out there doing it. Yeah. But they want to be out there doing <laughs> yeah. it with them. That's exactly right, dude. They're just a good teammate. <laughs> they just love it. They are just there for the love of the game. That's all it is. Mutt's Gone Nuts also jumped rope. That was impressive. I'm going to tell you something, Adam. That was one of the most – there was a dog jumping rope. Like, I, I struggle to jump rope. <laughs> the dog was jumping rope. It was impressive. That's impressive. The dog was jumping uh, like two people holding the rope, and it jumped up. Not like it was <laughs> – Adam, the rope. I don't think anybody <laughs> thought the dog had the jump rope in its paws. <laughs> it's not the Louisville bird, Adam. <laughs> That would be a feat of athleticism. Dude, but come on. It was like they started it, that, and they're so happy, too, when they're out there. And when you let if them you, out of the crate. Oh, my God. It's, it's the greatest moment of their life. <laughs> if you Every night, it's the greatest moment of their life. If you can watch Frisbee dogs and not get happy, then get out of here. It's like the anti-leprechaun. Frisbee dogs, yes. Leprechaun, no. Notre Dame, have you ever thought about being the Notre Dame Frisbee Dogs? Yeah. Because that we could get behind. Mutt's gone nuts. <laughs> I'd support having them at the Smith Center. I thought this was a thought-provoking email from Colin Tate. Uh, one more thing before you get I think Big Guy Little Dog was halftime show for the championship game. As well-deserved. Former pod guests, they're like, who can we get for halftime show of the championship game? Yeah. What about Christian Stoyev and Tiny Dog, yep. who we know is like Scooby. Tiny Dog Jr.? Yep. Uh, let them come show what they got at the title match. Yeah, Very fitting. Great to see those guys. Wish Tariels had been there. If we had been there, we could have dapped him up. Yeah, we would have probably hung out with him. Yeah. And we would have been like, you know who's not very good? The <laughs> leprechaun. And he would have been like, I know, but I have to respect the performance. But then afterward, he would have talked trash about it. We'd be like, I know that's right. Colin Tate sent an email. This made, I wonder if this might be true. The heading is, is every time we touch now a UNC anthem? <laughs> uh, it might be. <laughs> Colin says, maybe it's just me, but I feel every time we touch is almost a UNC anthem at this point. Over the last six months or so, the song has started to grow on me as it has gotten more and more airtime on the pod. Now that we've secured the all caps, greatest regular season win in Carolina history, I can't stop listening to this jam. 
you mentioned you both feel Duke must retire this song slash tradition yeah. under the new regime, and Colin agrees. Gonna have to. But is there any traction to the idea that next time Duke comes to the Smith Center, just before tip-off, the arena calms for just a moment, and all that the visiting coaches and players can hear is, dun, dun, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. a reminder of the eternal one-up. Just a thought. Would love to hear your thoughts. Well, Colin, I'm going to tell you one other thing I learned in New York. The Duke people absolutely love that song. Yeah, dude. I, they do love it. They love it. And, and they are completely oblivious to the fact that every other ACC school thinks it's a joke. They take it very, very, very seriously. Now, look, I know you're surprised that Duke would take something a little too seriously. Yeah. But that when the, they played that because they were trying to make it as much like a Duke home game as they could during the semifinals, and like they hopped right up like you had just played – March on you Blue Devil Warriors or whatever their song is. And they were doing the claps above the head. Totally were. And they were doing the the fist dancing. Yeah, yeah Adam's like Co- doing it right now. Like Coach K did at his press conference. Yep. They they treat it like a sacred ritual. Yeah. So I, I now have started to wonder, I don't think they are going to retire it. I think it means too much to them. Yeah, that might be like... Uh... Might be like Matt Doherty changing the secretaries or something. <laughs> like it's gonna be something that nobody thinks. Like from the outside, people are like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. But on the inside, it's like John Shire just got rid of every time we touch guys. He's got to go. <laughs> I don't think he understands. <laughs> I, I don't think he gets basketball, guys. <laughs> We're not playing Cascada anymore. Um, Kelsey Brereton said that we mentioned personalized jerseys on a pod back in mid-February and wanted to know where you could get those. I think you cannot just yet, uh, but eventually they'll be available through all the various uh, Carolina online order sources. Downton Shabby did a great job with a Coach K slash Jack Nicholson mashup. Dude, you I was just looking at this. Downton Shabby's Twitter handle is at Butternut Llama, obviously. Yeah, of course. You got to go check it out. It's electric. Yeah, it really was. It was good work. I uh, wanted to give a big shout out. Forgot to do this last week to Ruth Ann Woodley's Tar Heel Bear. I'm assuming yeah. it's still wearing the Beat Duke button. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think she, I think he's got that for a year. I, I, or eternally. Um. Dennis Dodd wrote a story on uh, CBS's website about college football attendance and how down it is, Mm. that it is down pretty much across the board. Jones, as he wrote, even in the SEC, which you know this is serious. Good gracious. Hey, I I think we told everyone this was going to happen during the pandemic, that if you let people stop coming for a year, they're going to find other things to do. And that is what has happened. So the the point of the story, which is worth going to read, is a lot of athletic departments now, rather than focusing on growing the attendance back to where it was, which may not happen, tailoring the experience to those who are coming so that you're making sure that you're retaining them, which that seems smart. If you have a customer, perhaps you should make sure that you keep them. Um, so we'll see how that goes in the future. That's all. Uh, Cameron sent a tweet asked if we thought about creating a pod bracket pool on ESPN. Can't do that. We uh remember Rick Neuheisel? <laughs> Where did he get fired from, Adam? Was he the one? 
Who got fired for doing the NCAA tournament bracket? That does vaguely ring a bell. Is that right? Maybe. If not, we apologize, Rick. You would never do something yeah. like that. But if it was you, how dare you? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can't do that. Not saying you can't do that, Cameron. Right. Or that someone, like if the pod fans want to do that, sure. go for it. We can't set it up. Adam and I can't, can't set it up. Right. A couple other tweets I wanted to mention. Jared Clark, high-quality Photoshop on the See Later Big Grits. Did you see this one? See that one? Oh, yeah. That one was good. Yeah. High-quality Photoshop work there for Jared. uh, See, that's what happens when all the Roots DMs come in. I forget about these pre-Roots tweets. Uh, Adam, I'm going to mess up the details on this, surprisingly. (laughs) So there's this guy named Rick Neuheisel. Yeah. So there was a conversation a week or two ago that found its way into my mentions that involved B dot and it was something about the postseason basketball banquet. And honestly, I don't even know if Hubert Davis is gonna have one. I don't even know what his plans are for that. And somebody was talking about B dot hosting the banquet. And BDOT, I think, said something about how I host. I, I don't even know what happened in there. But somebody in there said, well, I know Jones is getting up there in age. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? First of all, BDOT and I are like the same age. What, what do you think they're even talking about? That seemed to be a big mistake. It seemed pretty clear what they were talking about. That seemed like a big mistake. Old Jones is getting on towards retirement. Yeah. The golden years of the Angel era. By the way, a couple of stories have already come in from the Duke game. We're not going to get to those today, but we will get to those in future pods. So if you want to send a story in about anything wacky that happened or what you were doing during that – I don't know if you heard Mike Krzyzewski's last home game when Carolina won the game. Uh, then send it to us and let us know. We've already gotten a couple really good ones. So, Did you see, I'm sure you did, that the ACC Network bragged about how they were going to re-air yeah. Coach K's last game on multiple occasions and there was no mention of the Tar Heels whatsoever. Yeah. Not even that they were in attendance. Uh, I did notice that. And I can tell you that some other people noticed that i heard that and they're i just i don't think it was taken too kindly i think discussions were had yeah i do too and so adam i'm just telling you this is my firmly my opinion john shire i have no idea if he can coach i like i said on last week i think john shire seems like a nice dude seems like a good recruiter I'm sure they would not have selected him to be their coach if he they didn't feel like he was a good coach. It's going to be different. It's just going to be different. Well, I think one very good point that I heard made was, like, it's not a television show. Like, Carolina has to recruit against Duke. And so if you're promoting this thing as Duke only and you are the ACC network. That's funny. I've never thought of it like that, but that's how they approach it. Like, it's a TV it's show. It's a TV show. And they're a TV network, but the games aren't a TV show. They're the games. That's a good. Uh, that's an interesting point, Adam. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that's right. And it, and I think you're right that it, it's not going to be like that 
next year because there's only one reason it's like that this year. And that reason is going away, in theory. Yeah, Tom Brady, what are you doing? Don't give anybody any ideas, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and do you think it was good or bad that he, like, I didn't even know that it happened until like 10 o'clock on Sunday night because I was on the hashtag grind. And I was like, wait a minute, why are all these people talking about Tom Brady? And it turned out it was because Tom Brady was coming back. Yeah. Why do that at the same time the bracket's coming out? Well, I think because Monday started the free agency period where like legal tampering can occur <laughs> where you can start talking to guys and uh, I think that's why well then that makes sense did you see that somebody paid $518,000 yes. you know what would be you know what Tom Brady should do if he was so classy he'd give that guy his money he'd pay him the money yeah Tom Brady can spend $518,000 I'm guessing so it was $518,000 for the last touchdown pass that Tom Brady threw as a buccaneer and so it was purchased at an auction on Saturday night on Sunday afternoon, Tom Brady unretired, and the ball now apparently is worth about $15,000. Only overspent by about half a million. Yeah. I mean, it could happen to anybody. All right, before we round the final turn here on the show, just that volume, you know why. We're going to play an ad. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. We're sitting here in the lap of luxury, drinking out of our commemorative cups. Yep. Thanks, Ruthie Styles. Yep. Ruthie, no big deal, made us some very fancy cups that we can fill up at the uh, water fountain. Well, one of them is going to have to stay here in Pod. It's already found a spot on the uh, on the uh, shelves here at Pod World headquarters, saying it's got the uh, UNC at Duke, the final score, March fifth to uh, twenty twenty two. Farewell, Coach K, <laughs> on the uh, commemorative cup. That's going to bring a smile to my face yeah. every time I hydrate out of that. Yeah. And she gave us some Skittles, too. So one of the boxes of Skittles. Some of those I'm going to eat, Ruthie. I'm just going to be straight with you. But one of those boxes going on the Skittles uh, on the Skittles shelf. Uh, one last piece of news, Adam. I know I've said that a couple times. Uh, reports that Mitch Trubisky going to sign with the Steelers. They have an opening for their starter. That seems like that could be a pretty good fit. So, just reports. I don't know if that's 100% accurate. You may know by the time you hear this, of course. But some reports out there that Mitch may sign with the Steelers. And if that does happen, remember Jones Brooks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Take that, Schefter. <laughs> okay, Adam, anything else? No. It's the only pod this week. We'll be in Fort Worth. I've never been to Fort Worth. Nope. Dickey's Arena. Relatively new arena. According to Wes Miller, nicest arena he's ever been in. Hmm. The American Conference just had their conference tournament there. Oh, is that where it was? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. And he said only a year too old and that it's incredibly nice yeah so uh you may remember carolina played in the cowboys the massive what is it at&t i think stadium or whatever um but that's in arlington now dallas and arlington and fort worth they're all right there together but that was in 2010 that carolina played texas there and that's in arlington so this is a totally different place in fort worth brand new arena so i'm looking forward to it never seen it check it out Tariel's there, hopefully for two games, hopefully two wins. 
Hubert Davis said he is approaching it with his team as the Fort Worth tournament, and that's how they're going to look at it. So hopefully the Heels win the Fort Worth tournament. But no more pods for us this week because we'll be on the road with the Heels. Hopefully we are talking uh, two wins and a move to the Sweet 16 when we join you next week. But for now, we're going to let Raymond Felton and the RZA get us out of here on the latest edition of the Carolina Insider. This is your boy Raymond Felton, man. See you later, Big Grits. When I was small, we had nothing at all. We used to eat grits for Box of sugar in a stick of margin. A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving. Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes. Big silver pot boiling water, salt in it. House full of brothers and sisters, the pot's missing. Pilgrim on a box on the stove in the kitchen. When I was small, we had nothing at all. We used to eat. See you later, Big Green. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network. Presented by Give UNC, Carolina's annual day of giving. Make this March 29th a day like no other by supporting the causes that inspire you the most. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.